Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about the relationship between reality and belief. So for instance, I can believe a chair is an elephant, and I can treat the chair like an elephant. I can feed peanuts to the chair, and I can pet the chair, and I can put up a big sign offering elephant rides in front of the chair, but it's just a chair, right? So perhaps in my mind, I actually believe that it's an elephant. So you can say that for me, the reality is that it is an elephant. But then we have something called objective reality, or if you want to call it truth or ultimate truth. And then it just reverts back to a chair. No matter what you think it is, it's just a chair. Okay, so that's the type of things that I want to talk about. The relationship between belief and reality. Why am I talking about that right now? Because there's a very, very deep teaching from the Me'a Shaloch, the Ishvitzer Rebbe, about Midian. Now, Midian was a tribe of ancient people, and the Jewish people had a relationship with the Midianites. And there's a very amazing story that I want to tell you, really one of the darker, more bizarre episodes in the entire Torah, that's going to get into the whole relationship between our two peoples. But before we get there, I want to talk about the nature of a human being because belief and reality, these are things that a a human being has to be able to master. So let me tell you a phenomenal insight from the Maharal, one of our greatest Jewish thinkers, right, going back maybe close to 500 years now. So the Maharal says that the word Adam Remember, Adam in Hebrew is a human being. And there are different names for human beings in the Torah. But believe it or not, Adam is the highest. So when you use the word Adam, you're talking about a human being, and this is both man and woman, a human being that is really realized. Okay. So Adam, says the Maharal, comes from the word dimion. Dimion, you can hear the similar letters in the two words. Dimion means imagination. This is a phenomenal insight into what it means to be a human being. It means that human beings are uniquely capable of levels of imagination. Now, that can be a positive thing or that can be a negative thing. It's a positive thing if you use your imagination to look into reality and to expand upon things that are hidden within reality. In other words, they're very real. They're part of the ultimate truth, but they're not immediately apparent. Let me give you an example. Sir Isaac Newton, who is maybe the greatest scientific mind that ever lived, you can make an argument that he was greater than Einstein. And by the way, he loved Torah. Sir Isaac Newton, he was a religious Christian, loved Torah. And among his writings, he would make sketches of the Beis HaMikdash, the holy temple in in Israel. And he believed that the measurements of the Beis HaMikdash 
were the objective reality to harmony to be found in nature. Right? Like, for instance, if you walk down the street, I don't know if you like architecture or not, but let's say you do, and you walk down the street and you look at different things and you go, you know something? That door is too small versus the windows. Or they got it just right. The doors and the windows look just right. Like, you know who was great at, at things like this? The Greeks, like the Parthenon, is famous for just the, just everything, it just, it flows, the design. I'll tell you another thing. Perhaps the greatest example is in India, is the Taj Mahal. You look at the Taj Mahal and the, just the, the harmony, it just flows seamlessly. But what is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate example of harmony? Says Sir Isaac Newton, the Beis Amigdash, because these measurements were given by God. And he looked into them and he said that there are secrets about the organization of the universe contained in this blueprint. Isn't that interesting? And you can see, they have them online. If you Google Sir Isaac Newton and Beis Hamigdash, or Holy Temple in Jerusalem, you can actually see his handwriting, how he's trying to figure out all of these things. Okay. So, Sir Isaac Newton, legendarily, I don't know if this actually happened, but this is the legend, saw an apple, right? It fell, I think, on his head. And all of a sudden, he was able to figure out mathematically the laws of gravity. So now this is an example of how one can use their imagination in order to reveal the objective truth. What is actually contained in reality, but what's hidden in reality. That's, that's a very good example. And really, all, all good science is really unpacking reality. And remember, always good to keep in mind, there is no argument between science and religion. Contemporary society wants to make it a big fight. Do you believe in science or do you believe in God? And if you're sophisticated and you know anything, then you believe in science. If you believe in God, God help you, right? All of a sudden they get religious on that point. But anyway, that aside. But think about it for a moment. The Rambam says there is no argument between science and Torah. Why? Because the one who created the universe God created everything, including science. <laughs> so they have the same author. The author of the Torah is the author of science. So of course they agree. And if they don't agree, that means you either got the science wrong or you got the Torah wrong. They have to agree because they have the same author. Do you understand? Okay. So these are good uses of imagination, where imagination helps you to unpack what is actually there, but it's hidden. This is really one of the greatest attributes of a human being, the ability to do this. All right, now, one of the reasons why God created the entire universe was in order to have free choice, which means that everything in the world can either be used for the good or it can be used for the bad. Everything, everything. You know, like a lot of very religious people, they're like technology, certain aspects of technology make them very nervous. But you've got other aspects of the religious community, which is like technology, this is absolutely fantastic. 
now you can put out like a piece of Torah and it can be seen all around the world instantaneously. That means also imagination can be used for the good, like we just discussed, where you uncover that which is hidden, or it can be used for the bad. So what is imagination used for the bad? That means that a person creates a reality that isn't there. A person creates a reality that isn't there through their own imagination. Perhaps the greatest example of that today is artificial intelligence. Everyone wants to know, how is that going to affect the world? How are we going to know what's real? I was having a, a, an adjacent conversation with someone about this last night. And this person was very afraid and was saying that, you know, like doctors used to know, like would have to know like all the bones in the body. Like it's getting to the place where you don't need to know that. I personally, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I don't know the phone numbers of my own children. I just, on my iPhone, I say, call, you know, this child or that child. But if I got stuck without that information, I, I don't know that I'd be able to call my own child. In other words, there's this increasing reliance on things that we would expect ourselves to know we are feeling less and less an obligation or a responsibility to know. And this person was expressing that and, and was afraid. And what I, what I said, and this was just something that just kind of came to me in the moment, but I do believe this, that God wants us to start developing our minds in different ways. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't know your children's phone numbers, or if you're a doctor, you shouldn't know the bones in the body. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that a whole new chapter in the evolution of consciousness seems to be opening up right now. And I believe since God is good, and since all of these technological things are ultimately for the good and the revelation of God's oneness, that it's designed to develop other aspects of our consciousness which up until now have not been developed yet how that impacts that which is real and that which isn't real, but looks real, is I think that there is going to be an increasing importance placed on our Masora. Okay, let's just take a step backwards, but I'm very much on, the, on this topic. How, does, how do we know Judaism is true? Right? Like, it's very nice. Right? It's good to go to a Shabbos table. You feel good. All these things are nice. But how do you know it's true? And we could probably spend a really long time on this subject. And many, many people do. But I'm going to give you, I'm not saying this is the most emotionally satisfying answer. But it is, like, if you want to just cut to it, I'm just going to cut to it. Okay? Because our fathers, 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 and mothers, 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 mothers were at Mount Sinai. That's what it is. That's the simplicity of it. That's the simplicity of it. And unlike every other religion in the world, 
Judaism has the chutzpah, the chutzpah, to say, unlike every other religion, which says that one prophet, quote unquote, got the word and told everybody else, trust me, that's every other religion, Torah says there were approximately two and a half, three million people who all heard the word of God and all heard the same thing at the same time. That's wild. What religion would be dumb enough to say such a thing because it's so easily disproven? They would only say such a thing if it happened. And so those people who were eye and ear witnesses to God then had children and told them about their experience. Remember, the children of those people were in the desert and experienced all the miracles themselves, right? The bread falling from heaven and the well of Miriam and the clouds of glory, they all experienced it themselves the next generation. And then they had children and they told it to them and they had children and they told it to them. You know, I heard a statistic, which is a bit mind-blowing, and I, I hope I'm getting the number exactly right, but it doesn't matter, because it's such a shocking number that if I'm, if I'm off by a little bit, it doesn't even matter, because the number itself is so shocking. If you were to take the oldest person at a Seder table, a Pesach Seder table, right? Let's say a grandparent. Sometimes it's a great-grandparent. My my wife's mother is the great-grandparent of over 30 people, okay? So great-grandparents are not so unusual. So if you were to take a grandparent or a great-grandparent at a Pesach Seder table, and then you were to take the grandchild or the great-grandchild, and you were to count that as one unit, from the oldest generation at the Pesach Seder to the youngest generation at the Pesach Seder, how many of those units, how many of those Pesach Seders, and remember, what happens at the Pesach Seder? We say we left Egypt and we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. That's, that's what we're talking about right now. How many were there going back 3,300 years? You ready for this? About 24. <laughs> Do you know how, I have the chills. Do you know how small a number that is? And... And you say, well, how do we know those 24 Pesach tables were like telling the truth? Because they were dying in groves to communicate that truth. There is no shortage of people who died in order to communicate that truth. So were these people committed? These people were very, very committed. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here because of how absolutely committed they were. So that handing down from the first people at Mount Sinai to us today is the Hebrew word, the Masorah. That's what we call the Masorah, the handing down from generation to generation. So the question is, how is AI, which is going to impersonate reality in such an amazing way, Right? How are we going to know what's true anymore? And what I would like to suggest is even more emphasis is going to be placed on the Messorah, on what your parents tell you, because they heard it from their parents who heard it from their parents. Which means that if you want to 
stop reality from literally going off a cliff. You have to be able to understand these things so that you can give it to your children. Do you understand? So these generations right now are playing a huge role because everything is about to shift. And they're going to be looking to you and to me to communicate things in a very clear way. Because otherwise, you're going to have people who are very wise and very spiritual walking around saying nothing is real. Right? I mean, the Buddhists basically came up with this idea at some point that nothing is real, that everything is an illusion. Right? Now imagine if it's not in the system of belief anymore, but if they can have a, a technology which supports this. That's not good because God made this world for a reason. And it isn't an illusion. If it's so easy to fall into the trap of our creating our own false realities, what hope is there for me to stay on the proper path? So the answer is Talmud Torah Keneged Kulam. The study of Torah is equal to all the other mitzvot. A person has to learn Torah every single day, even if it's one line of Torah. Even if it's one line of Torah. I always tell you this. In, in high school, I learned about dwarf stars. Dwarf stars are so dense that one teaspoon of a dwarf star weighs billions of pounds. Can you imagine? One teaspoon. There are teachings that are two lines long. And these things, you can think about them not just all day, for the rest of your life. So you should get a collection. There are many collections that are excellent. In the morning, you read, or before you go to bed, you read just one, two lines. And this way, you will, you will stay in reality. And just an advertisement, if you didn't join my, my WhatsApp group, please join. And I'll put this talk on the WhatsApp group. And also, every, before Shabbos every week, I put out like a two, three minute thought. There's a rabbi, I gave him a, a Torah book, the Eretz Vi, just an amazing book. And this is the way he described it to me. He said, you know, it's like a tea bag. <laughs> and what he meant by that was that like his brain is hot water and he dips the thought in his brain. And like, you know how when you dip a tea bag in water, you see like the tea like spreading into the water. He says, that's how these Torah thoughts come to me. They dip down into my brain and then they spread out and they spread out and they spread out. So I don't know that my thoughts do that, but you know, like Reb Shlomo says, you have to try, but there's a lot of good stuff on the internet. But anyway, quick answer, you have to learn Torah. That's the main thing. Okay, so let's get back to us because we can create false realities in terms of our relationship with God. So here's a, an incredible metaphor, just a beautiful muscle from the Dubno Magid, who is kind of like one of our greatest analogy makers in Torah history. And he says like this, you know, back in the day, people traveled by ships and, you know, a big profession was these porters and they would come to the docks and they would have their wagons and they would carry people's luggage. Okay, you still have it today, but back in the day it was a bigger job. So the story goes that 
this porter sees someone with piles of suitcases. And he's like, wow, I'm gonna get that customer and that's gonna be a big tip because there's only one person who has that many suitcases and that's a rich person. So I'm gonna get that client. So he starts carrying all the suitcases and he's lugging it to this rich man's house and every push from the wagon, he's like, ah, ah, ah. And he's getting like angry inside because he's just thinking about how hard this work is. And he's saying to himself over and over again, when I get to that guy's house, he better give me a big tip. He better give me a big tip. He knocks on the door of this rich man and the rich man looks at the luggage and he says, that, those don't belong to me. <laughs> he said, I had a little bag of diamonds. <laughs> That's all. Very easy to carry. Those suitcases are not mine. Okay, so what is the lesson from this? A lot of people, they go through life and they're lugging the mitzvot. <laughs> oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. And they get angry at God. You better pay me big for all the work that I'm doing for you. And then when we get to heaven, God says, what are you talking about? My mitzvot are diamonds. They're very easy to carry. <laughs> so what's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is, is that these individuals who are lugging have created a false reality. And they are living inside this false reality that they've created. For them, it's very real. You have to be respectful, right? When they've created a false reality, you have to be very respectful. My father was a psychologist. And he practiced for 50 years. And he said to me that when you're talking to someone, you don't deal with the truth. You deal with people's perception of the truth. Right? He told me one time that he had a patient and he asked this woman, you know, from the last session, how she's been. And she said very quietly, she said, I went to the moon. And she, this was her reality. And my father said to her, and, and how was it? And she said, quiet. It breaks my heart to this day, you know? I guess how else would the moon be, right, if you were on the moon? I guess it would be quiet, right? So she was accurately describing her experience and her reality. When she said, I was on the moon, my father didn't say, you weren't on the moon. Right? You deal with people's perception of the truth. Okay. But that doesn't make it the truth. Right? Because you have the ultimate truth, the ultimate reality, and that person was not on the moon. Okay? So again, what are we talking about? Let's just refresh the topic here. We're talking about belief and we're talking about reality. And sometimes these things are going to overlap and sometimes these things are not going to, over, are, are not going to overlap. And so it's very important that we 
Keep these scenes straight. Okay. Now there's some aspects of reality because God is infinite and we're finite. There's some aspects of reality that we will never be able to reach. Right? Like I told you about Newton. In his greatness, he was able to see something that no one else was able to see. And not only that, he was able to give it a mathematical formula. And not only that, that measurement about the apple to his head allowed rockets to fly to the moon. Because they just continued to build on his basic foundations. And they were actually able to launch a person to the moon in reality using Newtonian equations. So what the mind can uncover is very, very great. However, there has to be humility. We have to recognize that God is infinite and we're finite. And there are certain levels that we simply can't get to by virtue of the fact that God is infinite and we're finite. And at that point, belief helps us to access the infinite. Imagination can be scientific genius, which reveals aspects to the world around us, to the natural order that are hidden. And with our imagination, with our scientific insight, we're able to reveal them. But now let's get to this idea of belief. Belief can connect us to realms that are beyond us. You see, this is what prophecy is. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Moshe Rabbeinu, the author of the Torah, it's God's Torah, and when I say the author of the Torah, the transmitter of the Torah, because the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu was that he didn't alter one letter, one aspect of it. He was, as the rabbis explain, a clear glass, a clear lens that the light came straight through. The light of God came straight through without any alteration whatsoever, even the smallest amount, zero alteration. This is why we say, Torah Tamet The Torah is true and Moshe is true. This is why we say this. Okay, so through prophecy, what prophecy allows you to do is it allows you to transmit from that aspect that the mind can't reach, and then it comes down. And through belief in the prophets, we're able to access that part where our mind will never reach. So in that sense, belief can really be our best friend to connecting to reality. Because this ultimate reality beyond where our mind can reach gets revealed through prophets, but the only way that you can hold on to those higher levels of reality is to believe in the words of the prophet, which are the words of God. Of course, it has to be a true prophet. Okay. But now, I want to go deeper. Now I want to talk about Midian. I told you I'm going to tell you about Midian. And I'm going to tell you a way out story right now, if you don't know it. 
And this is just a very, like I say, very strange chapter of Jewish history. So Bilaam was a very high-level person in the world. Kabbalistically speaking, we say that Bilaam was the reincarnation of Lavan. Lavan tried to destroy the Jewish people when we were just one family. And that Lavan was the reincarnation of the snake from the Garden of Eden. So if you want to know how bad Bilaam was, here's the line. The snake, Lavan, Bilaam. That's pretty bad. <laughs> that's, that's like basically the strain of evil in humanity. That's, that's who Bilaam is. Now famously, Bilaam gets hired to curse the Jewish people. And every time he opens up his mouth, against his will, he ends up blessing the Jewish people. Because God runs the world, not Bilaam. And this happens over and over again. Finally, in total frustration, Bilaam tells Balak, who hired him, tells him, listen, it's not going to work. I can't curse what God has blessed. But I can give you some good advice. If you can get the Jewish people to sin, especially in immorality, they will bring a punishment upon themselves. And that's how to do it. And so he recommended that it should be done, the agency should be done through these women of Midian, the Midianite women. And so they set up kind of like an outpost, these women, and really it was like these old women who were like selling wares out in the desert. It was like this kind of flea market out in the desert. And then the, you know, Jews like to shop. So, you know, we'd see, I'm sure there wasn't a lot to do out in the desert. It's sort of like, oh, hey, check it out. There's a flea market, you know, let's see what they got. So you go and then they start walking and they, 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 they talk with the, the old woman shopkeeper. And then she'd go, oh, you know something? I think there's an item that you might be interested, but it's inside the tent. Okay, more good items, you know? You got the real good stuff inside, okay. So then the men would go inside the tent and there would be these beautiful Midianite women. And they would feed them wine and food and, you know, the men were drawn to them. And the women were very open to have relations with the men. And then the women would say, you know, before anything started, just you, just you have to do one more thing before we begin. Do you see that idol over there? And this is, maybe that first part sounded strange, but this is really where it gets strange. Do you see that idol over there? You, you have to worship that idol first. And then we can begin. And the men would say, no, 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 no. You know, we don't do that. And they say, no, no, no. Here's how you do it. If you defecate on the idol, that's how you worship it. They told you it was going to be strange. And I'm going to make this very relevant to today's society in a moment. So... Many of the men thought, oh, you know something? That's how I'm going to desecrate this idol. In other words, I'm going to get my cake and eat it too. I'm going to be able to do with the idol so I can get with the woman, but really I'm disgracing the idol. They didn't realize that that's how you worship the idol. 
Now there's a story that the rabbis teach that there was this particular woman who worshipped every single, in the ancient world, every single idol in the ancient world. And her personal testimony was, this was the most disgusting form of idol worship in the world. Okay, so you have a, like a, a, in its day, a, a, an eyewitness that this was genuinely the worst form. Okay, so you say, well, these were ancient, bizarre people. Oh, by the way, so what happened? Then they consorted with the Midianite women, and then a plague came down and started devastating thousands of Jews. And so Bilaam had actually given in his wickedness, like, very accurate advice. Now, what does this have to do with us? So I'll tell you an amazing explanation from Rabbi Chaim Shmuel Levitz. He was the Rosh Hashiva of Mir. And he was writing this during the 1960s, right? During like the whole hippie era of anything goes. He said, do you know what this worship of Baal Peor was? That was the name of the idol in terms of like going to the bathroom on it and that that was worship. He says, it's actually a very contemporary idea. It's the idea that whatever comes out of me is beautiful. I am so great. I am so great. And everything that I do is so perfect and so beautiful that even this is worthy of worship. Do do you understand? Do you understand? That's an amazing insight. Because even when the ancients are doing practices that seem very bizarre and unusual, they were smart because they didn't have the iPhone. That doesn't mean that they were stupid. They did a lot of thinking, a lot of very, very deep thinking. So they had ideas connected with these things. So I heard Rabbi David Aaron say, he said a related thought, but very much on this subject. He says, you know, babies wear diapers for obvious reasons. But when you're older, you don't wear a diaper because you learn how to control yourself. So can you imagine someone gets older and they continue to wear a diaper and they tell you, because it's natural. (laughs) And whatever is natural has to be beautiful, right? No. (laughs) No. We're supposed to evolve. You know, I always like to give this piece of imagery because it really speaks to me. I think most people know about Ikea Right? You go to Ikea and you get like this thin box and somehow in this thin box is a whole couch. How did they fit a whole couch in this? Like It's like two inches tall. How did they do it? But it's all there. So you and me, we're all Ikea boxes. We're born as Ikea boxes. And then the process of our life is putting ourselves together. That's what it is. And you know, a lot of times you put yourself together with your Ikea box and then you have a whole bag of extra screws. (laughs) But can I tell you something? In your Ikea box and my Ikea box, there are no extra parts. You say, well, those are extra parts. No, there are no extra parts. If there's an extra part, that means that there's still work to be done on yourself. Right? So the idea is that we, we start off in a, like babies in diapers, so to speak, 
And then we're supposed to evolve to the place where there are certain things that we used to do that we no longer do. And that's the normal process. That is how it should be. That's how God made the world. That's how God made the world. You know, Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, had a twin brother, Esav. And Esav is like a very problematic character in, in the Torah and for Jews. And the question is, why are we so mad at Esav? Because we're basically pretty mad at Esav. Why are we so mad at him? And the best answer that I ever heard was because Esav comes from the Hebrew word asui, which means made. Esav comes into the world, and you know, one of the unusual things about his birth was he was very hairy when he was born. Like he was like, like a man, but he was a baby. It's strange. Esav comes into the world, and he says, I'm made, I'm complete, I'm already done. It's like, but you're a baby, you're just getting started. No, 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 no. I'm already done. This is the opposite of Torah. This is the opposite of Torah. Torah says that I am a work in progress until my last breath. In Torah, if you think that you're there, that you've gotten there, whatever there means. In Torah, if you think you've gotten there, that is the greatest proof that you haven't gotten there. Right? Like they talk about, there's, they say in the Talmud, there's 36 hidden tzaddikim that are basically the foundation of the world. So if you think that you're one of the 36, you're already not one of the 36. Do you understand? <laughs> because it never stops. Again, because God is infinite and we're finite, it never stops. The levels that we can go to never end. I always like to think of this piece of imagery. You're standing on the beach, and you have in front of you what's called the horizon. What, what's the horizon? The horizon is that straight line that's off in the distance where the sky meets the water. So you say to yourself, wow, the sky meets the water right over there. I would love to go to the place where the sky meets the water. So you start swimming, but it moves a little bit further away. <laughs> and you go, I know the problem. I have to go faster. So you get into a speedboat, and now you're like, like ripping toward the horizon. But the horizon keeps on going a little bit further away. See, that's what it is. God is infinite. We're finite. And so there is no end to the levels that a person can reach. And the idea is, now, depending on where you're holding emotionally in terms of your relationship with God and your relationship with your own soul, you can hear that as bad news or you can hear that as good news. So if you're sort of still kind of building yourself up and you hear it as bad news, you say to yourself, you mean you're telling me I'm never going to be done? Like, when am I going to get done? Come on. You see, a lot of people have a relationship with mitzvot and God like they're paying taxes to the government. This is the way a lot of people think about it. It's like, and I'm talking about even religious people, quote-unquote religious people. It's sort of like, 
I, I did that. Okay, God, now leave me alone. Now I'm back to my own life. I paid my taxes. Let me get back to my own life. A lot of people like, and I'm talking about religious people right now, they go to shul in the morning or they put on talisman to fill in in the morning and then they say, okay, okay, God, see you at mincha. But wait, where did God go? God didn't go anywhere. <laughs> or people have a meal, right? A Shabbos meal. They wash for bread and they say, okay, God, see you at benching. <laughs> wait, is it? Where did God go? God didn't go anywhere. So this idea that I have a relationship that never ends with God, it's like, give me a break. God, when do I get to be on my own again? I heard Rabbi Shimon Green say something so beautiful. He says, there's three people who say the same thing. Your mother, a child, and God. So let's say you're in your bedroom. And you say to your mother, Mom, could you close the door? I want to be alone. Your mom will close the door and say, okay, now we're alone. <laughs> you say, no, 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 no. Close the door, I want to be alone. Yeah, yeah, I closed the door, now we're alone. And it's the same thing with God also. Now we're alone. You see, the other way of looking at it is the greatest love affair that you'll ever have, that you'll ever have, is between you and God. That God is absolutely your best friend in the entire world. That your soul, your essence, is a piece of God. And the greatest thing that you can do is connect yourself to the ultimate reality. That is the ultimate love affair. And then when I find out that that love affair never ends, I'm so happy because I don't want that love affair ever to end. And wait a second, just because I die it ends? That's not fair. I want it to keep going. It keeps going because the soul leaves the body and now the love affair actually increases because now you're even closer to God. And you don't stop traveling through God. You keep on going higher and higher and higher and higher for all eternity. And it only gets better. Right? You know, those relationships between, like, husband and wife, where you've got, like, a couple married, like, for 50 years or something like that, and then they sort of smile at their, the little party that you throw them, and, and, and they say to each other, I love you more now than I ever did. Right? Like, ah. That's Gan Eden, right? That's Gan Eden. To think that time can enhance something instead of like a piece of fruit where time like rots a piece of fruit. <laughs> it's not more delicious now than it was a week ago. It is now rotten. But there are other things that time just makes it better and better and better and better and better, right? <coughs> okay. So let's, let's continue to get back to Midian. Because now I want to tell you what the Mea Shalach says. Midian, remember, let's just do a quick review. What are we talking about? We're talking about belief and reality. We're talking about imagination and reality. Remember, the Ma'aral says the word Adam, a person, it's the same word as Dimyun. 
and we showed how sometimes imagination can uncover what's actually there, and we showed how imagination can be misused, and sometimes you create a false reality, right? Like the person who's lugging all the luggage and working so hard, and God says to that person, my mitzvot are diamonds, they're easy to carry. So that person has created a false reality in terms of their relationship with Torah and mitzvot and with Hashem. Okay. Now listen to this. Midian, Midian, which is who entrapped us. It was the Midianites and especially the Midianite women. And they kind of brought us to this very kind of weird form of idol worship. And then the play came. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, wage war against the Midianites. And after you wage war against them, your job is done in this world and you're going to leave this world, Moshe. Now, the rabbis point out, look at how much Moshe loved God and loved God's mitzvot, his commandments. Because the average person, person would say, as soon as I wage war, then I die. What's the hurry? <laughs> we can attack them in a week. You know what? Next month, it's going to be a little bit cooler. <laughs> it's better weather conditions for us to attack Midian, you know? And then a month from then, it's sort of like, you know, it's so close to the new year. Why don't we wait till the new year? Moshe did it immediately. Even though he was told that he was going to die right afterwards, he did it immediately. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now the Mea Shaloch says the following. If you take the osios, the letters of Midian, do you know what it spells? Dimion, which means imagination. And so the Mea Shaloch interprets this verse from the Torah Moshe, wage war against Midian, and then you'll leave this world. You'll die. Listen to how he reads it. This is so deep. Moshe, wage war against Midian, which is really Dimian, which really means illusion. Wage war against illusion. And once you've exposed all that's false in the world... There will just be wisdom, and then you can leave the world because your job is done. Okay, I'm going to say that again because it's awesome. God says to Moshe, wage war against Midian, and then you're going to leave the world. That's one verse from the Torah. The Mea Shaloch, the Ishbitzer Rebbe, interprets it, wage war against illusion, expose the falsehood of illusion in this world. And once people see that there is only wisdom, then your job is done and you can leave the world. Amazing, no? Okay, so I want to build on the thoughts of the Mea Shaloch. And like I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, he said that, like, who am I to build on the thoughts of the he didn't say this, but he said something like this. Who am I to build on the thoughts of the Mea Shaloach, right? 
But then he said, this is what he said. He said, but I have to try. You know, everybody gets a chance. So I'm going to try. You see, what I want to do is I want to connect two things. I want to connect the fact that there is illusion symbolized by the Midianite women and that there is this idol worship that, that comes from this connection. Falsehood, right? What is, what is idol worship in Hebrew? In Hebrew, it's actually much better than in English. In Hebrew, it's avodah zorah. Do you know what that means? Strange worship. You know what I love about that? Because that phrase, strange worship, is coming from God's point of view. God is the one who's saying, that's strange. Why are you doing that? Like, I'm right here. Why are you bowing b b before that piece of wood? I'm right here. It's strange. That's strange worship. So you actually have a phrase that's from God's own point of view. And the Kutzkarebi says something also very intense, very beautiful. He says, do you know what strange worship is? Listen to this. This is awesome. It's when you relate to God as though he's a stranger. When you treat God like he's a stranger, that's a vodazora. That's strange worship. Okay. So I'm going to tell you something a little Kabbalistic, which is there's a term called zivug. Now, zivug has a lot of meanings. Like sometimes they talk about a match between a man and a woman, and they say, that person is my zivug, it's, it's my other half. So sometimes there is a physical component to zivug, and it can even mean marital intimacy, zivug. So, so it can mean a match, it can mean that relationship. But really, zivug is going on in the spiritual realms all of the time. It's when the worlds are combining and getting together, okay? And unity, the world is becoming more and more unified. So really, everything is really about zivug. But you have proper zivugim and improper zivugim. What the Israelite men did with the Midianite women, this was an improper zivug. And what happens when there's an improper zivug is the light that's flowing from the highest place in the universe, the Orein Sof, it gets sent in the wrong direction. Because this, there are all these checkpoints from the heavens all the way down to people, where zivugim, these matches, these combinations are being made. And if they're not proper aligned matches, what happens is, is as the heavenly light passes through them, it gets distorted. And so the way that impacts us in this world is that God's light gets more and more hidden in this world. And God gets harder to find. But when you make proper zivugim, and, and zivugim are being made all the time. When one person says hello to another person and acknowledges them, that's a zivug. That's a proper zivug, right? If someone is collecting charity and you give them some money for charity, that's a proper zivug. What that is doing is it's aligning the heavenly light so that the light is flowing in a more straight way into this world and God then becomes more revealed in this world. That's what it is. So everything is about zivugim in a very high level. This is just a Kabbalistic way of, of understanding kind of like the nature of things.
Okay. So the question is, what is your relationship with ultimate reality? What kind of zivugim are you making in terms of the choices that you make with what you connect to? Are you connecting to the truth in your life? Are you, are you connecting with the ultimate reality in your life? You see, because to go on the, the idea of the physicality of zivugim, when it's a close, intimate relationship, what happens when you have a close, intimate relationship? Well, that's how babies are made. In other words, if we make a zivug with falsehood, then we populate the world. I'm using the word very consciously. We populate the world with more falsehood. If we connect ourselves with ideas that aren't real and aren't true, and we put our life essence into these things that aren't ultimately true, we populate the world with more falsehood. Okay, so now I want to go deeper. There was someone in our community who is like this awesomely talented singer, really amazing, amazing, very professional. But you know, work is hard to find if you're an artist in general and in the music field for sure. And he had gotten an opportunity to be on a touring company of a Broadway show. Now he was just starting to keep Shabbos or wanting to keep Shabbos. And if he took this job on, on tour, he wouldn't be able to keep Shabbos. And so he didn't know what to do. We were friends. He asked me, what should I do? And I said, what are you asking me for? Reb Shlomo Karlbach was alive at the time. And even better, he was actually in Los Angeles at the time. So, so these things came together in a pretty amazing way. I said, ask Reb Shlomo. So he did. And this is what Reb Shlomo told him. And to me, like, where can you get an answer like this? You know, to like... You just see what a tzaddik is, right? So Reb Shlomo asked him the following question. He told him about the whole work situation. Reb Shlomo said, did you ever think someone was your soulmate, but then it turns out that they weren't? Do you hear that? Do you hear how deep that is? He wasn't changing the topic. He was talking about his job on this Broadway touring show that would make him work on Shabbos. Did you ever think that someone was your soulmate and it turns out that they weren't? You see, this is the idea of our relationship with the Midianite women leading to idol worship. This connection with something that we thought was real and then producing more falsehood in the world. We have to connect with those things that are real. Because the more we do that, the more we reveal the oneness of God in this world. And the more we don't do that, the more we put up barriers and gray areas where it's just propagating confusion in the world. So what is our relationship with things? Especially with Shabbos. Because we say Shabbat Shalom. Why? Because Shalom, peace, shares the same word with Shlemut, which means completion. Shabbos and completeness. Right? You're at peace when you feel complete. 
when you experience Shabbos, you experience this, this feeling of completeness. And so connecting with Shabbos is really one of the primary ways that we're going to clarify all of the energies of this world. I remember I was giving a speech, this is already going back like a lot of years, like, I don't know, at least 10 years. It was a group of students from London, and I was talking to them, I remember I had to drive to, the, to LAX, the Los Angeles airport, like some room there to, to give this talk to them. And I was talking about my experiences with Shabbos and things like this, and someone from the back row, a woman, you know, she was very sincere, but, you know, she was also kind of talking from her heart. She said, well, all this stuff probably makes sense from someone from, for your, from your generation. But for, for us, like, this isn't really very meaningful. And I said to her, you know, your relationship with your iPhone, with screens in general... And this was like before everybody was talking about it. I said, you don't even understand how toxic it is. You don't even understand how much of a slave that you are or you are going to become to these screens. So you actually need Shabbos more than me. A day where you can say, I'm the master of you. You are not the master of me. Shabbos, clarity, where you can take your essence and you can marry it to the ultimate truth, which is oneness. So we have to look at the choices that we make. And we have to endeavor to use belief in its most exalted, most refined way. Again, belief can help us access that which is beyond our minds. Our imaginations can help us uncover that which is there but is ultimately hidden. But what we don't want to do is take our belief and create false realities with it. That then becomes dimyun. That becomes a connection to falsehood. Right? Remember, midyun is the letters that spell dimyun, imagination. Adam is the root of the word dimyun, or the other way around. So let's use this most powerful aspect that God endowed us with to reveal his oneness. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.